Wide Web has long been host to copied and pasted stories of an apocryphal nature. These stories came to be known as Copybusta, and then the creepy variant emerged. Welcome to Creepypodsta, the Creepypasta podcast. Hello, welcome. This is Creepypodsta. I'm Jeff. You knew the name of the show from the intro. You didn't know my name because as thousands upon thousands of people have told me, that's not true. It was like half a dozen people. Uh, I don't say my name in the intro, which I suspect that I didn't. But here's the thing. I don't have much to talk about in these beginning segments here. Um... It's basically, I just ramble for like a minute or two, and then I say my guests' uh, names, and they say hello, and then we start talking about- Listen, this is the, uh, what is this, the 109th episode of the show? If It's been the same structure from episode one, so I, I hope if you've been listening since then, you get it. And if this is your first episode, uh... I don't know, you could listen to literally any other one, or just keep listening for like three more minutes, and you'll get the gist. Um, it's, oh boy, it, this is an unusual morning record, um, and instead of being uh, fueled by a day full of activities and energy, I am fueled by uh, waking up in a righteous fury and uh, looking up blueprints for guillotines online. That I wasn't actually doing that. That's a metaphor for political outrage. Uh, anyway, if, if you pay attention to things, just please know, we're recording this on Saturday, December 2nd, in the morning. Uh, so, I don't know, that'll probably be like an important date in history by this point, right? Like, if you're listening Listening to this in 2025, uh, if you find an iPhone full of uh, podcasts while you're exploring the uh, barren nuclear wastes, uh, then you'll be like, oh, December 2nd, that's when everything went really downhill. Uh, anyway, that's not what this show's about. Um, oh, if you listen to this show and uh, you in any way... Uh, support the Republican Party in the United States. Uh, please drive your car into a river and stay in the car until you're drowned dead. Thank you. Um, mostly stop listening to the show, but if you could die also, that would be good. Uh, for me, I mean, not explicitly for me, like, I won't know about it. For, I don't know, morale, maybe, I guess? I don't know. Uh, I'm just a guy, you know? I'm, I'm just a girl in the world, as Gwen Stefani said. Um, what is this show? Okay, here. Look, we're talking finally about what has been at the top of the suggestions list in every post, which I learned nobody reads those uh, posts attached to each episode of the show. Um, but uh, I just kind of throw the suggestions in there in a random order. And when I don't have, when I don't know what the next episode is going to be about, uh, it ends up being Dianea House being the top suggestion. Um, 
which is what we're actually covering today. So I will have to put like a yes, really next to it when it's the top uh, thing in the suggested reading list, because we're finally covering it. Someone has finally chosen it, which I'm glad because I didn't read it or know anything about it. And I discovered that it uh, was <laughs> written in 2004 by the Academy Award nominated screenwriter of Arrival <laughs> um, and the extremely not Academy Award uh, nominated screenplay for the Nightmare on Elm Street reboot? I don't understand if this guy's good at writing or not. I like this story plenty, and Arrival is incredible, but uh, he also wrote Final Destination 5, and the- That's Nightmare one of the good ones. Oh, is it? Okay, good. Uh, I'm mad that they didn't call it Five Null Destination. Same. <laughs> uh, and he wrote, I didn't see The Nightmare on Elm Street that had Rorschach in it as Freddy, but I assume it was bad. Uh, anyway, that voice that you heard is the person who chose this story off the suggestions list. Please welcome back to the show, Patrick Ripple. Hi, how's it going? I got it wrong. I had you say your name. It's Ripple, and I went with Ripple, which is not a human name. I mean, I guess it could be. Yeah. I, it's, <laughs> it's so common that it, it practically is Ripple, you know? It's just like <laughs> it, – it, uh, it, it feels it feels uh, unnecessary to correct everyone who ever gets it wrong. So, like, I'm, I'm Ripple's totally fine. Nah, I corrected myself on it because I went to the trouble of asking and did not go to the trouble of remembering until after I said it. Also, please welcome back to the show, Regina Barry. Hello. That is and how you pronounce my name. I, that one's easy. <laughs> <It's>, <laughs> <laughs> everyone knows those are two common first names. One of them's your last name, though, so. Uh, we've got. Diana House, what is this uh, author's name? Eric Heiserer. Uh, I only know that his name is pronounced that way because uh, I read the sort of sequel to this that he posted on No Sleep, uh, where his um, username is a phonetic spelling of his last name. Ah, anyway, Patrick, please tell us what the Diana House is all about. Sure. The Dianea House is a creepypasta, as you said, from 2004, though. When I was reading it, I wasn't sure if it was just set then or if it was actually written then. But then I looked up some other stuff and realized, yeah, it actually was written in 2004, which makes it a pretty early one. Yeah, um, this is uh, like pre-Candle Cove, pre-Slenderman. This is more uh, along the era of like... Maybe Jeff the Killer. Definitely uh, Ted, Ted the Caver was around at this time. Though unlike unlike most creepypastas, this had a, a purely mercenary um, sort of purpose, which was it, it was sort of a way of him promoting a screenplay he was trying to get produced. <laughs> um, I I knew that uh, there this was uh, being adapted into a movie and then got caught in development hell, but I did not know that it started out that way. Yeah, that was uh, there was there's a little I don't know how to find it other than googling. Um, Dianea House movie, but there is a sort of FAQ afterward section of the Dianea House website. Oh, interesting. Um, that that sort of explains how everything was going down, and it was basically something he could send to a producer to get them interested in this concept he had. Um, which is funny because I don't think this would work as a movie, but it works really well as as a creepy pasta. Yeah, um, yeah. I I think that's uh, really uh, we've talked about both Candle Cove and the TV show adaptation of it, and that is a story that I 
because it's similar epistolary format, like online posts, I was like, mm, there's no way that this is going to work. And of course, the adaptation is totally different. Yeah. Uh, so so um, I, I assume any Dianea House movie would also be extremely different from this. Yeah, I mean, yeah, I guess it would depend on what they, what they, what direction they were planning on going. But um, the way that the actual creepypasta is, is it's basically a month's worth of correspondence in 2004 between September 6th and October 1st between two characters, Mark and Eric. And it all exists on this website, dianea-house.com. Um, and it's the sort of the explanation for why these emails have been put on this website is that it's the most efficient way to share all of Mark's emails with all of you. So there's this already um, sort of uh, funeral to- uh, funeral sort of tone to the the setup before you even know what the story is. Um, now what this is is the character of Eric has created this website and put up all of these emails that he had with Mark um, and the. One of the more interesting things about this, one of the more clever things is uh, Eric only copied and pasted Mark's emails. So sometimes within the body of Mark's email, you'll get sort of replies that Eric sent. Yeah, I like that touch. But for the most part, when you're reading these emails um, and Mark is sending them to Eric saying like, you know, I'm sending this to you. It's almost a you take the role of Eric as you read this story. Um, especially since Eric does not advance the story very much. It's mostly Mark's uh, doing the work. So like the way, you know, you know, Dracula is, cla- is a classic horror novel in a pistolary form, and it sort of ha- uses the same techniques. Like um, that's sort of the structure of this, uh, the Dianea house. So um, in the first I guess that was a common that was a common technique in classic horror, because Frankenstein and the strange case of Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde are both also just like, here's a bunch of letters about what happened. Yeah, absolutely. I'm not I'm not like the most well versed in like uh like gothic horror literature or whatever, but it is it is interesting that that was such a trend for a while. Um, this is going to have to go onto my uh, list of things to do when I'm thinking academically about creepypastas. I, I suppose so, yeah, to, to go back and read all of those like uh, Bram Stoker novels. Yeah. Um, so in the first email, Marx contacts Eric uh, because he received a newspaper article in the mail about their mutual friend Andrew, and he's asking if Eric received one. Uh, he says he'll try to get in contact with the other two friends that all used to hang out together. Uh, Travis and Dave, but he never does. Um, but so we we just get the idea that they're sort of old uh, friends uh, who used to like play board games and video games together and stuff. Then there's the second email, which sort of reveals the format I talked about, where you see Eric's uh, sort of reply to um, Mark in the quotes, um, and it reveals that they were you know a group of nerd friends in the '90s, and they parted ways around 1999. And that Andrew was someone who lived with his mother and that his stepfather had this old house that Andrew was terrified of um, and that the newspaper article that Mark received was about Andrew walking into a diner in Boise, Idaho and shooting two people before shooting himself. Um, The third email reveals that Mark has looked into the newspaper article and he has confirmed that it's real and not a hoax. Uh, The next email is Mark's memory of the time that Andrew house-sit for his stepfather for 10 days. And when he came back, he was really shook up, and he was just quoting commercials and TV shows. Uh, the fourth uh, – no, the fifth email is Mark saying 
that he's had correspondence with an Idaho reporter and it yielded the info that when Andrew shot up the diner, he kept repeating, the door is open. So uh, you're sort of following Mark's investigation as he's trying to get to the bottom of why they're why you, you know, you as Eric uh, and his former friend Andrew um, would go to, you know, would become the kind of person who would walk into a diner and just shoot two people. And that's sort of the that's sort of how the rest of the story progresses is Mark sort of continuing this investigation. Um, and the sixth email is Mark saying that he's decided to travel to Houston where you all used to live. Um, you know, where all the friends used to live to, uh, to ask Andrew's family sort of what was going on with him. And this is, and then he, he sort of floats his initial theory of what happened at the house that, you know, left Mark all shook up. And he says that his experience with his dad's house left him hollow and that he filled himself up with input such as TV, radio conversations. And that's why they had that sort of uh, night where he was just quoting commercials and TV shows. And I have to say, there's a lot of like interesting, cool, evocative ideas in this creepy pasta. I think the lamest one is the your is the idea that like your experience with this haunted house is so devastating that you become Chauncey the gardener from being there, and you just like <laughs> and you and you just say like movie quotes or whatever. Like I don't think that's particularly frightening or interesting. Even, yeah, even if it's like, um, well, I I thought I just like how they're really specific about the volume of it where like they're just like he would just go on for like minutes and minutes and minutes of like a a law and order episode or something yeah i, yeah, was, a, I was a little creeped i, I well i mean they don't it doesn't it doesn't develop into anything else i think that he i think it's sort of a i don't know if these were written um piecemeal like the way there's there's some ancillary stuff that comes after this main story that was written uh, and published like one post at a time, one thing at a time. Uh-huh. So I don't know if uh, the writer of this decided to just drop. Maybe that's why the movie that. got caught in development hell because there were too oh, many copyright yeah, issues. Yeah, it's that really hard to clear. But it was like, no, we really need him quoting uh, Robin Williams, the genie from Aladdin, or else this movie doesn't work. And it's like Disney's never going to let us do this. Um, yeah, so I, I I agree about the spookiness of like knowing whole bits of dialogue, but the uh, the impact of oh his personality got scooped out and got replaced by whatever sounds were nearby is kind of like, eh, eh, that's not interesting, right? That's I mean it's also like we do know what you know in real world there is such a thing as shock, you know, right. and like yeah. that's not how that works. Um, but at any rate, uh, there's then a seventh email. That reveals that, uh, and reveals via sort of quoted replies that Eric recalls their friend Travis, who used to pick up Andrew on game night, telling a story of seeing Andrew's room, uh, sort of in disarray with worn out marks on the carpet, like he was pacing back and forth in one spot for hours. There's a lot of, again, this again is, feels like the kind of overly specific, uh, sort of a thing that's, you don't quite observe, like in real life, it, that, will have pop up in creepypasta um, because the idea is these are stories being told by people who were not, you know, immediately affected necessarily. Sometimes you'll get th- things where it's like suddenly they become Sherlock Holmes and they'll just it's like, I saw yeah. some like a paint on his thing. So that must mean he's been punching a wall for seven hours or, you know, like, <sighs> and the, yeah, the, the marks on the carpet of pacing back and forth, not again, not one of the better details, but I think, the rest of this uh, story is pretty great. Uh, so 
In the eighth email, Marx just sort of talks about arriving in Houston, staying in a rundown motel. Um, that's the other good thing about this uh, creepypasta is that there are sort of moments where the story just breathes and it sort of feels like it has a natural flow and progression. It's not necessarily just like every single page is the, is a creepy, crazy thing that happens. Uh, it's a nice slow build you know, where Mark kind of doesn't know what he's getting into yet. Um, the ninth email, Mark tells the story of going to a manager's office in Andrew's old apartment, apartment complex and getting rent, rental info. And there he discovers that his mom vanished one day, leaving Andrew to pay all the rent on the apartment and that his stepdad also vanished one day. And he discovers the address of his stepdad's house, the, uh, the house where Andrew stayed at. Now, next that happens is this and this this will come up later again. Is not an email, but a text message that Mark sends from his phone to Eric's email. Um, and there's a little bit of extra info given from Eric saying that there is a several hour delay between when Mark would send texts and when they would pop up in his email, which I think is a, is a cool um, sort of uh, conceit. Uh, and the text message is just simply, where are you? Call me. Uh, all caps, which is which is a cool thing because all of these have just been yeah like this epistolary like hey man anyway here's what's been going on this is what I've been thinking like they're very formal emails and then you click uh you know next and then you just see where are you call me and it's it's a nice little shocking thing and then that sort of text message format will come into play later really cool way um, in the tenth email Mark describes going to this normal if fairly rundown one story house. Uh, and talking to a neighbor who says he doesn't even know if it's occupied currently. But the neighbor vaguely remembers Andrew's stepdad and the people who lived there previously who moved out in a hurry, leaving most of their furniture. And the creepy thing about that is that those previous owners were John and Lucy Madsen, who were the couple that Andrew shot in that diner. Um, now, so in the 11th email, Mark is sort of pushing himself to the edge financially and in his personal relationship with his girlfriend. He's flown out to Idaho to sort of examine the connection. He's feeling all messed up. Uh, his, his, you know, he's, he's sick. His watch has stopped and there's a ringing in his ear, but he just has to, you know, figure out what's happening, uh, and, and why Andrew shot the previous owners of that house. Uh, in the 12th email, Mark says that he's gotten a hold of the name of the Madsons next of kin and that he will talk to them. Again, like just a – just sort of a pacing email. Um, uh, so not everything crazy is happening all at once. Um, uh, written by a Hollywood screenwriter perhaps. <laughs> One could say this, the structure of this more than most uh, creepypastas. Seems like someone who's read a screenwriting book or two. Um and then in the 13th email, Mark relays the conversation he had with the cousin of the Madsons, uh, and they say that they wanted to stay in Houston a while, but things just kept going wrong. Like little things, like tires would go flat, they'd have problems where they wouldn't be receiving their bills, and their phone would get shut off, they break their fingers. There would just be little unsettling things that would happen when they lived in that house. And then some big mysterious thing happened – that made them sell all their stuff. It made John Madsen quit his job, and they put everything they had into an RV where they drove away and became nomads. Um, and they sort of just drove around America for the next couple years until their AC uh, in the uh, mobile home broke in Idaho. So they went to stay with their cousins for about a week, and that was the week before uh, Andrew walked into a diner and shot them both. 
Um, the Madsen's cousin also takes Mark up to a room where they stayed, and he sees that uh, they had barricaded the closet with the dresser. They always kept the lights on, and they piled tons of extra blankets on their bed. Um, so, so clearly something happened to them as well that's, you know, fucking them up. Uh, and then in the 14th email, Mark talks about seeing this, a Discovery Channel show about fly-trapping plants uh, with the uh, species name of Dianea muscapula, which is where the Dianea house name comes from. Uh, but he sees this Discovery Channel show about fly-trapping plants that use dead flies to lure in new ones, and he wonders if that's what the house is doing and if it's already lured him in. Um, which is, I, and I, I do like sort of the uh, Venus flytrap imagery throughout this story, mm-hmm. especially in the ancillary stuff when you find out more of the backstory or whatever. They really double down on that. When I was like midway through reading it, I was like, where did he get Dianea from? So I Googled it, and then I got the Wikipedia page for, for Venus Flytrap, and I was like, oh, I just spoiled for myself. <laughs> yeah. Okay. <laughs> um, yeah, I didn't, I didn't question it at all. I figured it was going to come up as the name of the house, and then it comes up as this sort of lore Venus Flytrap concept. Yeah, my, my initial thought was like, oh, it's some crazy architect who built this house or whatever. His yeah, name is Dianea yeah. or something like that. Um. So then in his 15th email, Mark recounts how a visit to the police station has granted him Andrew's personal effects, including driver's license from many states that he lived in. Um, And then he figures out the address he was staying in in Idaho. And that's sort of the last email that Mark sends out because everything after that is a series of text messages. And again, um, this sort of stretch of, you know, uh, longer letter style emails in between, where are you? Call me text message. And these text messages will work when it's suddenly, you know, you click next and you see the page and it's just a sentence uh, mm-hmm. it's, and it's all caps. It's really creepy. So yeah. I'm actually just going to read the series of text messages he sends uh, in all caps because <laughs> they're pretty uh, terse. Uh, yeah, I like this because it's exactly the right era where some people would have cell phones and other people wouldn't, and the only way to communicate from cell phone to a person who doesn't have cell phone is by sending a text to an email address. I, I definitely remember doing that around 2004 yeah, yeah. I mean, and, you know, at that point, he wasn't, it's not even, like, a clever period thing. At that point, I guess he was just writing about what contemporary technology was, but, but yeah. the writer did a yeah. good job of, like, finding the scary thing about contemporary technology with the delay yeah. and the sort of feeling of hopelessness that Mark has through these text messages. Yeah, and also the fact that like he's using a flip phone, so having everything in all caps is kind of like natural and like the lack of grammar. You know? Right. Um yeah, the the sort of the 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 grammar and the spelling sort of break down as as this as the texts go on and uh, Mark gets more and more upset. But anyway, here are the text messages. The first one is, standing in front of the house now, it's the same one, the Houston house, same marks on the roof, same fence damage. The next text message is, just talk to old man across street. He says house has been here for years, rented out as far back as he can remember. Next text message, I rang the doorbell, no answer, it's exactly the same, Eric, I don't understand. Next, ears ringing again, I don't know how to, I don't know what to do, how is it the same? Next text message, there's a way into the house here. Next text message, where are you? Pick up the phone. Next text message, I'm going inside. 
Next text message. Inside the house. Nobody is here. Air is cold. Metal smell. Next text message. I found stairs. Going up. Didn't see second story from street. Next text message. Did you call? Signal cuts off. Three bars, then no bars. I'm looking for more of Drew's stuff here. Layout is really bizarre. Lots of rooms. Next text message. Door at end of hall. Made of metal. Checking other rooms instead. Next text message. Call? Next text message. Found something. Drew's backpack. Getting out of here now. Next text message. Found something. Oh, no. Next text message is, I think someone here. I just heard something. And then the final text message is, the door is open. And then a fun little detail about that last text message. Not only is it the thing that um, that Andrew said before – was repeating to himself before he shot the uh, couple – the door is open text message has a send time of 577. Oh, I yeah, didn't notice I, that. I was looking say. back over some stuff as I was writing up my notes, and that was when I noticed it. Weird. Uh, yeah. That's weird. Why would it... Why, how, how did his haunting hacking well, email... Yeah, it's, well, I, there, you know, you have, to, you have to think of some kind of signal interference or whatever. If he has this, like, ringing in his ears and his watch stops... I think of it as the same thing, like his phone is malfunctioning as the evil grows closer, or something like that. It could also just be a typo, because the one before it is 511, and maybe it's supposed to be 517. Oh, yeah, yeah, maybe it's a typo. I, 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 <laughs> I was going to save this to talk about later in the episode, spoiler alert, but um, I assumed it was intentional. I, I also assumed it was intentional. Um so then after this long string – and it should be said, the, re, you know, the reason I kept saying next text message as I was reading all these is the thing about this is you have to click through every single one. Yeah. And you just start clicking through really fast <laughs> once once things start picking up through these text messages because you're it's, it's very scary and you're trying to figure out what's going on. Um, and so that was – that's again like a really effective use of the format, mm. um, even just the format of the way the website works. Yeah, I I ended up having to read this at night, which I usually avoid doing because uh, (laughs) too scary. Um, But I I spent the the other story that we're talking about in this recording for next week's episode, listeners. uh, I listened to a reading of it, and it was like two hours long. So by the time I was finished with that and moving on to this, I'm like, ah, it's dark out. I'm going to be too scared. (laughs) Yeah, I read this. I read this at night too, and it really messed me up. Yeah. I had to like, I had to go on the internet and look up the dumbest like video game videos I could find to just be like put myself in a different mindset. Or it's like, no, this is Poyo Poyo Tetris. Everything is fine. Um, yeah. So after the text messages, there's suddenly an email again, um, and this email is from Mark's girlfriend Jennifer, who he's referenced a couple times in the past about her sort of not knowing what's going on with him. Um, and sort of getting worried about him as he was investigating Andrew's sudden murder suicide. Um, and this email from Jennifer, uh, has, she's seen all of the emails that Mark has. This is another fun touch. She has seen all the emails that Mark sent from his home desktop before he left for Houston, but she doesn't actually know what happens after he left because all those subsequent emails he sent via his laptop. Um, so she's sort of sending an email to Eric. Uh, you get the idea Eric has told her something, but not really any details about what's happening. Um, and she's she wants Eric to just tell her exactly everything that's happened with Mark over the past month. 
So that's the 16th email. The 17th email, and this is another really clever twist. Um, the 17th email is a from a postmaster sort of automated return unsent notice to Eric informing him that uh, an email that he sent uh, in reply to something he received couldn't be delivered. Um, and the same way that we've seen sort of clips of what Eric's um, replies were via via these quoted sections um, in Mark's emails, we see what was sent to him um, through a quoted section and his reply uh, sort of all together. And what was sent to him was a uh, news article sent by a bizarre email address x at x.x about human bones being found outside of the house that Mark went to. Um, and Eric's reply that was returned unsent was that he wasn't going to investigate it, that he refuses to get fooled and getting caught up in the house's trap, that he knows what the house is trying to do to him, and he's not going to fall for it. And that's the end of the story proper. Yeah. Um, and it's a good ending because it also, like, you this this whole time Eric is like, you know, Mark's like, boy, dude, I could really use your help. This is really freaking me out. And you just sort of get the feeling that Eric isn't really committing to this the same way. And Eric is sort of finding an excuse to be like, yeah, no, I can't. You know, my girlfriend's mm-hmm. sick. I got to stay here. You know. Oh, yeah, that's right. There is that little like subplot where he's just like, oh, how's your girlfriend feeling? Is she any better? And it's just like going on for a little too long to be food poisoning, mm-hmm. which is what it's implied in early. Right. Years. So the idea is that the house is almost using Eric's guilt about what is like trying to fuck with Eric's guilt about what happened to Mark. Yeah. In order to get the same thing to happen to him, to lure him out and get him drawn into the sort of orbit of the house. Yeah, because that's something that um, that it, um, Mark keeps kind of going on, where he's like, oh, we should have done something, we should have helped Drew, we should have mm-hmm. known. Um, so that's kind of what's fueling him, is his guilt. Right. Uh, yeah, that was uh, interesting with Connie being sick, too, because I thought that was just a plot contrivance to keep uh, Eric from participating in the story. Uh, but then later, when Mark is like, oh, is she out of the hospital yet? I'm like, oh, what's happening? Right. Why is she so sick? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, and I, I do like that this, you know, this story, unlike a lot of creepypasta, it does sort of have an emotional backbone to, again, it's it's a Hollywood screenwriter writing it. Yeah. <laughs> like it, it does have sort of yeah. this, this main idea, this sort of theme for these characters, and um, the sort of emotional stress. It's not just super unsettling details about the house. Yeah. Um, so that is sort of the main part of the Dianea house, but um, there's also an updates section, and my under- my assumption is that Eric uh, – what's his name? Who wrote this? Uh, Heiserer. My assumption Eric is Heiserer. Eric Heiserer initially wrote this and then as it sort of began to be- pick up like steam and get a fan base or whatever, mm-hmm. he sort of decided to do little additional stuff to mm-hmm. – because people were getting excited about it. And it was like – you know, it was viral – in the way that 2004 sort of stuff is viral. Um, so there's an update section with a bunch of offshoot ancillary stuff. Um, I thought for a second that maybe some of that offshoot stuff was fan fiction that he decided to link to. Because uh-huh. some of the way it's framed is like the the person of Eric saying like, 
look, this live journal could be a hoax. We don't know. Right. A lot of people have seen this now, and maybe people are trying to fuck with me, but I'm going to link to it anyway. Mm-hmm. And it kind of isn't written as well. <laughs> it's kind of like mm-hmm. not done. Uh, none of the none of the offshoot stuff I think is as strong as the main story. Mm-hmm. But then I read the FAQ, and he's like, "No, I wrote all of it." Oh, okay, okay. Um, Talking about going back into an abandoned house, you do have to go to a couple live journals. Yeah. Right. <laughs> yeah. I mean, but again, like this is 2004, 2005, oh, so sure, this is all yeah. just cutting edge stuff. It would be a it would be a creepy Tumblr probably if he did it now. <laughs> he he would. He would Snapchat a murder scene. (laughs) I'm impressed that these live journals have uh, survived. Live journal is, it's one of those sites that hasn't uh, purged all of its backlog yet. Uh, Although I did learn that a few years ago, it was purchased by the Russian government. Oh, good. Yeah, that's... or some company that has uh, that is controlled by the, like subject to the Russian government's extremely invasive uh, internet. Mm-hmm. Censorship. Yeah, I think I think I was on LiveJournal for quite some time, and I think that happened maybe like a little bit after I jumped ship for Tumblr. But yeah, at that point, it was like, oh, there's no going back. That's all gone. So this yeah. all this all could be uh, saboteur misinformation. In fact, instead of. Merely, <laughs> of course. instead of yep. merely the uh, appendices of the Dianea house. Yeah, one of the live journal posts, and it was all Hillary Clinton's fault. Right. The end. Um, so one of the sort of extra things is a live journal of this teenage girl in Phoenix who babysits kids who live in that house, um, or another version of that house, as the same house seems to appear in multiple cities. Um and increasingly weird and scary stuff happens when she babysits. It's kind of more standard creepypasta stuff. Um, there's like a whole thing about hair coming out of the bathtub. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, that's ex- that's like extremely the ring exactly. or something. Um, but the one sort of interesting thing about it is that – or the one cool touch about it is – oh, yeah. The other thing is she finds like a key ring of Mark's keys. So it kind of ties into the main story that way, which I almost like would have liked it better if it was its own self-contained thing because it's not like the house necessarily thinks of Mark as like, oh, he's the center of my mythology. Like the house is just eating people. So Yeah. yeah. I I liked that before you even get the link, you get – Eric's message to Jen saying, I think this is a hoax, and it probably is, unless you get something in the mail from a grocery store in Arizona, which is like, you don't know what that means until you read it and discover that his keys with his grocery tag were found and Right, exactly. Um, So, but the one thing I do like about that uh, sort of live journal of the teenage girl is the last entry is, I guess, right before she loses it or goes crazy or whatever, it's just sort of this creepy children's rhyme that uh, one of the kids she was babysitting said earlier or was mentioned in passing earlier but then it ends with red rover red rover let jen come over yeah which is uh which is a cool like reinterpretation of what the fly trap is that sort of the fly trap house has been doing mm-hmm. um yeah and yeah sort of just growing in power as it s- sucks more and more people into its orbit i thought that was a really cool image um, there's also a chat uh, aim chat log between Lucy Madsen, the woman that Andrew shot, and her friend from when she lived in Houston, and that has Lucy sort of talking about some creepy stuff that happens in the house, uh, including a stain on the ceiling, which doesn't appear to come from any leak and smells like stomach acid. So again, we're having more 
maybe a over literalization of the sort of Venus flytrap pitcher mm-hmm. plant sort of imagery, but still a, a cool little image. Um, again, I wasn't a big fan of that one either because it's just like one aim conversation where it's like, hey, how's it going? We're at work. And then it ends with just like, I hear people choking in the other room. It's like, I, I feel like if that aim chat log was going to do justice, it would have to be more like the full story and just be like a series of aim chat logs, like series of conversations. But yeah, it's really weird the way uh, characters in horror stories write off like very obvious spooky yeah. things happening like if you're hearing noises and there's stains that smell like acid coming from nowhere that's not just like i don't think if that was happening in real life i'd just be like I yeah i mean I, I think i think there is something to be said and this is less about even creepypasta or whatever this is just generally about fiction and horror and stuff is like there's something to be said about the power of denial um yeah part of the part of the power is the way it can make you not see something, but also part of the power is it allows it allows stories to exist. <laughs> so, so it's just like you yeah, just have to sort of, of accept, course. like, oh yeah, denial is going to come and depart. That makes me think of um, there was that Onion headline, which was like, "Man who lives in country where there's been a hundred mass shootings asks why anyone would live in Gotham." Right. <laughs> <You know>? Yeah. <laughs> uh, sad. Yeah. Uh, it's I. I always go back thinking about this in. Uh, fiction to paranormal activity uh, because as fans of the show will know the first paranormal activity is like one of my favorite movies ever um, the series in general though follows this interesting structure where stuff sort of happens at night and in a way that is pretty much you can run, write it off and deny it until about halfway through the movie when something explicitly supernatural happens during the day like i th- believe in the second one and maybe also the third one all of the cabinets fly open at once and a bunch of stuff flies out of them um and i feel like uh Nothing quite approaches that for um, uh, Lucy Madsen, but it it gets close enough that I'm like, ah, I wanted it to be a little more subtle. Yeah, no, it's it definitely lacks the subtlety and just sort of you know part of. Uh, I mean, if you if you think about like if you if you want to get really fucking pretentious with it, like part of the story, like part of the meaning of the Dianea House is about how people lose touch and reconnect in the era of the internet. Mm -hmm. Um, Like everything is about technology and technology is used to make things, you know, scarier and it's, and it's used to build tension and uh, it it shows a really good understanding of how technology integrates into our lives and like what, and like people grappling with that fact, you know, and that just does not exist in any of this ancillary stuff. Yeah. Yeah, it's it's interesting because like it just presents more content the the bonus the uh, sorry, the updates.htm page. Mm-hmm. Um it, it but yeah, like you said it doesn't I mean, I guess 2004-2005 is the end stretch where there could be a bunch of identical houses eating people. Um because eventually, I mean, even now we have our Lovecraftian detective putting together the clues to discover this global uh, conspiracy. Um, but if this story is was set now, it would be like, 
oh yeah, I went on Google Maps and I saw that they were all the same house. Like, the house just wouldn't be able to get away with doing anything. It would right. have to stop existing. Or that would be the story would be people, like, the story would then be, the front part would be, oh, it would be this creepypasta of these images uh-huh. of the, you know, right. like the same house trying to put together what's happening. Right. Like, you would just have to make that the story. Um, but uh, there is, there's uh, one other one that is a link to a blog spot blog spot journal yeah. that Eric kept about his sort of descent into madness while tracking all of this. He does eventually in maintaining this site and trying to like trying to be the steward of Mark and Andrew's story, like he does end up getting sucked into it. Um and one and one little interesting touch is that um the site says that his link to his blog spot uh was only posted because he didn't because he didn't return by October 31st, um, the blog spot, it's, it's sort of this thing, like he set up a program that if I don't, you know, this is a private journal of mine, but if I don't come back and like unset this up by October 31st, just post the a link to the journal. So people know what happened to me. Um, so you know that before you even click on that. And then on that blog, Eric talks about being in a relationship with his girlfriend and that disintegrating and, being followed by this homeless man uh, in like this sort of stained sweatsuit um, and getting an anonymous text saying, beware meat puppet uh, and gets into in-depth theories of how the houses work. Uh, he, he's like reading stuff about like metaphysics or whatever. And yeah. he's figuring out like what's going on with the house that way. Um, and then it ends with him like saying, all right, so the plan is me and my, this partner Cameron and I don't remember Cameron from the main story or anything else. He, yeah. he sort of brings him up like you know who Cameron is, and if that's and that's I, that may be just like an interesting touch of it's his personal Neither journal, so he's just writing Cameron. You know, right? He doesn't have to explain to an audience because he doesn't think anyone's going to see this. Yeah, I think I think Cam gets mentioned on the uh, on the updates page, where it's just like, well, Cam's missing too, right? Exactly. And it's like, who the fuck is Cam? And right. It's like, you never really. But he also talks about on the updates page of like getting contacted by like mediums and and like uh-huh. people who want to help him who are psychically in tuned or whatever. Right. So I also I assume Cameron is one of those people. Yeah, maybe. Who, who saw the website and then got in contact with him. Yeah, I, I feel like well there's also an, another couple names on the updates page where it's like you never quite find out who these people are. Mm-hmm. So I guess it is just sort of trying to um you, you know show that like the house is sucking more and more people in, you know, who want to help or, you know, for whatever reason, but it's like the cast of characters just kind of grows subtly, especially towards the end after um, after Mark's disappearance. Mm-hmm. Um, so, um, and then that blog spot is sort of the end of everything. And also, like, that's sort of where uh, Eric, the author, says, oh, ta-da, <laughs> the, curtain, the curtain has come up and I'm taking my bow. Because in the comments section... The first one of my favorite things about creepy pastas is the, in the comment section. The first twelve or so comments are people trying who like the story and are fans, but they're trying to pretend that they're like in the world of the right, story, right. and they're like, "I know what's happening." You know, I remember if you go on the Princess, the uh, the uh, creepy pasta about the N sixty four games that have this sort of pr- uh, T pose princess model haunting them. Right, yeah, we've covered that on the show, I believe, episode 53 or 58 around there. I absolutely, I know you did, because that was <laughs> that was one I was th- thinking to do, because I liked that creepypasta, and that was uploaded on, like, a 
on like a blog spot or whatever piecemeal. Mm-hmm. Um, and the princess, there was a there was like a several month gap in time between two of the chapters. At which point I commented on the newest, then newest post on the princess, and I said, and I pretended I was in the world of uh-huh. of the story, and I was like, "This is important. Contact me. I know what happened." And I set up a fake email, um, and I was like, "Oh," and my my thought when I did this was, "Oh, clearly it's been like five months, and the author hasn't uploaded anything else. They gave up, um, but maybe they'll see this and they'll let me continue the story." Uh-huh. Uh, but only one person ever emailed me, and it was just another person who read it. Uh-huh. And, the, and the email was like, "So what happens?" <laughs> like, like it was, it was not. He was not buying me as being part of this world or whatever. <laughs> and then, I, and it was, and it was funny because until that very moment, where someone just sort of looked at me and said, "Well, so what happens?" I realized I didn't have any ideas for where the story <laughs> should go, so I just never answered yeah. it. But I bet that comment is still on there. So, like. That is one of my favorite things about these is when you see like comments from people who are like, no, this happened to someone I know, yeah, you know, like or yeah. whatever. Um, but then also a lot of those comments are just pe- people being like, this was amazing. I had so much fun. And Eric like responding to them being like, guys. <laughs> yeah. uh, that This sort of format of blog posts and comments that are participating in the fiction is the like core uh conceit behind no sleep uh yeah it's like it's in the rules that you can't be skeptical in the comments that you have to play along as if the story presented is a real thing um it's an rp cr- uh creepy pasta server yes pretty much uh it is <laughs> okay then cool <laughs> uh it is we've covered a lot of no sleep stories on here but um uh, pretty much all of them are presented as this crazy thing happened to me, or uh, in some way a first-person telling of a spooky story, and then the comments are always like, oh, I'm so sorry that that ghost ate your friend, or whatever. So yeah, that that's the Diane House. It's, it's, it's definitely one of the best creepypastas I ever read. I think the ancillary stuff kind of cheapens it by spelling out too much a little bit, and just not being as good, but I think you know, the format of the Dine House is amazing. If if nothing else, like, it's way more readable than, like, the massive blocks of text yeah. that you usually get with, like, yep. involved creepypasta stories. Yeah, and the pacing's really The excellent. pacing's good. Yeah. It, like, it, it follows sort of the rules of the world it has set up as far as, like, what you can realistically expect someone to email to another person. It's not like, anyway, I'm just telling a story about something that happened to me. Here's five pages of dialogue that I remember verbatim. Right. You know, like... It has it. It's it's very well constructed and well made, um, much more so than the Nightmare on Elm Street remake. <laughs> um, though, though I will say the structure of the Nightmare on Elm Street remake is the exact same thing. Where it's just like, what's going on in this town? Let's go investigate. Oh no, we're being pulled in too far because we're thinking about Freddy now. Yeah. So well, he maybe maybe he uh, used some ideas from the Dine House in that awful film. <laughs> the only thing I wish was left out of this. Is the very end, the blog of Lorene Mathers, um, who is a woman who lived in the house and escaped, um, and is now homeless and on the run and slightly crazed from her time in the house and living, uh, as a, um, like, town-to-town vagrant, um, and it's, 
another live journal. <laughs> it doesn't end <laughs> this time with a link to Jenny's blog spot and a poem. Um, it just, I, I think she stays, yeah, she stays normal the whole time and basically explains her experience with the house. And it's not necessary at all to, um, Mark's story. Uh, she does meet Mark. Um, she taught, or rather, she talks about how she met Mark because it all takes place in, this is a year later in October of 2005. Um, uh, her last post being January 17th, 2006. Uh, and all it is, is she explains what it was like living in the house, and it's just this sort of weird spin-off. Um, and I didn't like it that much because I thought her character voice was a little weirdly exaggerated. Um, yeah. But beyond that, it's just like, oh, okay, here's more. Yeah, I, I skimmed it. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> at that point, at that point, I was sort of like, I get what you're doing with this with this extra stuff. I'm not into any of it. Th so. There is one more extra thing that is not technically in the world of Diana House, but is clearly related because same author. He went on No Sleep and posted a four part story um, about his friend who seems to have gone missing, um, and it sort of dives into the... He presents himself as like, hey, I wrote this creepypasta Dianea House, rather than being the character Eric from Dianea House. Um, okay, so it's like a Blair Witch 2 Book of Shadows sort of sequel, where the <laughs> yeah, movie exactly. exists in the world of that movie. Okay. Uh, um, it It's interesting. It sort of... I It sort of deals with the idea of the house, but it um, is more like uh, Stranger Things ripoff. I I might have been posted. Yeah, it was posted in 2014, so it was before Stranger Things. Um, it's like there's this other world called the In Between, and this woman is looking for her son who's disappeared there, and has found this way of processing photos that lets her take pictures of in between places, and then it ends with someone having come up with uh, chemicals that will let you see the in between uh, by putting them in an eyedropper and putting them in your eyes, and then just kind of ends on a cliffhanger like that. Um, similar format. It's got, like, pictures of stuff, like journals and uh, spooky fo uh, manipulated photos. Um, so if you're interested in this, uh, you can probably find that pretty easily. I think the articles written about Dianea House um, link to that one as like, oh, it's been 10 years since Dianea House, and here's a new thing. Um, so that's something to look into. I don't think we'll cover it on the show, but I felt like it was worth mentioning here. Uh, Regina, how did how sure. did this story uh, hit you? Because I, it seems like Patrick uh, has been a big fan, or at least was a fan upon first reading. Um, you know, I I actually read this one. And I said, I don't think I want to present this. <laughs> I'm not that into it. <laughs> Interesting. I um, I never read these stories ahead of time, um, which is funny. Oh, really? You just you just sort of go with the flow with what people yeah whoever tell you that they want to yeah, do yeah whatever. What it, once someone picks something, then I read the story because I get so many uh -huh. suggestions that it's like I'm if I read all of these now, I'm not going to remember them by the time it's time to record. <laughs> I, I think I think for me the issue with with Dianea House was kind of like um, 
I can I can compare it to um, being in college and listening to the Pixies for the for the first time <laughs> because when I was growing up and watching Nickelodeon, like all the incidental music on their commercials and stuff was like watered down Pixies ripoffs. So by the time I actually got around to being a grown up and listening to the Pixies, it was like oh I've I've heard this before, yeah, and it took me a while. So like like I kind of feel like. With Dianea House, because there's so much that, like, other creepypastas kind of take from it, or at least have the same kind of tone, like, or, or where it's just, like, I, I, don't, I don't know, there's just something about it where even even if this is, like, one of the original ones, I just feel like I've had to wade through all of the, um, the homages and the things that have been inspired by oh. it to get to it, so by the time I actually got around to reading it the impact for me was kind of watered down i was like oh it's some some guy just trying to get along and his friend's missing like it it just sort of didn't really do it for me in that way but um i i definitely prefer the 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 format of like these emails that you have to click through over um you, you know, reading something on, on no sleep or on the wiki, um, you, you know, I, having to, having to navigate yourself through the website makes like so much of a difference because that's where all the pacing yeah. is. And I think that was a really good choice on the author's part. Um, especially when it comes to the text messages. Cause it's like, what's the next one? What's the next one? What's the next one? You know, cause I feel like when I'm reading something on like the wiki and it's like, I'm getting, I'm getting creeped out. I can at least look at the scroll bar and be like, okay, I just have a third more to go. I just have to be brave for another third of a page, but not with this one. Cause you don't know oh, when yeah. it's going to end. That's a good point. I didn't even think about that. Yeah. You normally can tell like where in the story you are. Yeah. Yeah. But I mean, as far as like the characters and even, I, I feel like there's a very, um, there's a very uniform tone and a very uniform voice to most creepypastas. Which makes it difficult for me to kind of get into where I don't know. It's just like like the way that that they're written feel very samey, which is why I w- I was really surprised to hear that that um, the author went on to be so successful. And I mean, good for him. That that's great. I will also say like I, he's one of I think he's like one of several credited screenwriters on the arrival. Oh okay. Uh, well, it's, I, mean, I, I and it's like an, it's also an adaptation and like so I and. There's there's some hacky stuff <laughs> in the arrival, I would say that like seems like the sort of I don't like you know, the way Hollywood works is they're just like sort of oh and then this guy's a story guy so I'll have him yeah. hammer out the story and this guy's a dialogue guy and like oh yeah I remember there there was some scene at the end that you got really mad about the dialogue I don't oh it was, it was like you know the most surprising thing about all this was you <laughs> <laughs> like I wanted to flip my TV over um, but but at any rate like I mean uh. You know, so like, I think I think this is probably for me more successful than any of his film work. <laughs> like, and I like Final Destination Five, and I like The Arrival, but I, oh yeah, yeah, it's fantastic. Movie. I think I think just on its own, like merits this works better. Yeah, it's interesting. Yeah, yeah. Even without this, I would not expect the person who wrote Final Destination Five and the Nightmare on Elm Street remake to have written Arrival. Uh, no, that's true. And yeah. then adding this in, it's another like. Oh, he's an internet guy. That's weird that he's successful. Then additionally, that was the other. That was the other funny thing is the detail that like the four friends in Houston are nerds. Uh, yeah, duh. <laughs> and like, 
and like the tech industry was like in in Texas in the nineties was insane. Uh huh. Like that was where tech was like companies and software companies were all blowing up and stuff. So like there's this untold like sort of story. It's like, oh yeah, no, these are all these guys who and like oh yeah. there's the one part where Mark's like, Yeah, I always thought you should like go out to California. So like mm-hmm. you get the idea that all of these guys are like just uh, sort of tech nerds. Yeah. And, and that made me think, like, oh, yeah, this is definitely just a dude who spends a lot of time on forums and BBSs yeah, or whatever. Yeah, it, just, like, it just felt like like, like very tropey to me, even, but, even if it is pre-trope. Yeah, that's exactly. You know? That's that's the – like, it actually, for me, works – when I before I read the whole story, I thought, yeah, oh, boy, here's this trope again. Yeah. Uh, oh, you, you referenced Tecmo Super Bowl. Cool. Like, whatever. <laughs> but, uh, but then as I was reading it, I was like, oh, no, that's actually just sort of a nice detail – about it also explains like why these people sort of know what they're doing as far as like emailing and like having a laptop in 2004 that like connects to right, the internet right. and like uh sending emails via text and like setting up these blog spots and this website yeah. you know like it like this website doesn't is not the way you present information if you don't know how to code mm-hmm. yeah um so like it made it all makes sense to me but yeah you're right like it is now sort of a trope yeah, yeah, it's it's kind of hard to just like wade back through the past and get excited about sure. it. Like it's, it's like the easy, it's the Easy Rider problem. You can't really watch Easy Rider in yeah. 2017 and get the same effect. Yeah, well, also because it's not a very good. Movie. <laughs> it's not a good movie, no. but <laughs> like, well, that's, that's that's a topic for another podcast. <laughs> yeah. Uh, two more points against Heiserer. He also wrote the Thing prequel slash remake and Lights Out, uh, which uh, I haven't seen Lights Out. But the reason I haven't seen it is because I heard that it was incredibly bad. <laughs> Did he write the original short because that's literally the scariest thing no. I've ever seen? He didn't? Uh, no, okay. I, I, I believe the director uh, wrote the original short, okay. which I heard is really good. the original short, I couldn't turn the lights off for three months after watching the short. <laughs> uh, it's really good. I'll have to avoid watching it then. I, I yeah, yeah, I really wanted to see this movie because the trailer was good, and I imagine that uh, being only three or four times longer than the trailer, the short would remain good. Yeah, it's um, it's impactful. The the short is an exquisitely crafted piece of horror. It's like it's really good, um, and it also kind of has a creepy pasta feel to it. Almost yeah. like oh, it, yeah. it feels modern in that way, where it's just like some strange monster that you've never seen before that operates on rules that you don't understand. Yeah, that sort of make you question the nature of your reality. Like it's very creepy pasta. Uh, okay, we're not <laughs> we're not talking about lights out anymore. It. But okay. this, but like it does appear that this guy is just sort of a Hollywood screenwriter for hire yeah. who gets, yeah. you know, so like. Uh, 76 on Rotten and, and Tomatoes like, again, isn't like, bad for a horror movie, huh? Maybe I will watch the maybe, full movie. <laughs> maybe my, you know, maybe my taste uh, in things is like the reason I like this so much compared to a lot of other creepypastas is because it has like a good sense of structure and story beats and like the arc of the characters and stuff mm-hmm. in a way that like it does feel more contrived than some other stuff that is just sort of like here's a series of a, of a disturbing details that I'm pretending to have noticed mm-hmm. about a nearby place or whatever. Like, but on the other hand, I, I do think it all works in tandem. Yeah, it's um, it's interesting that this was sort of this guy's first dive into Hollywood. Um, I don't know. Uh, uh, let's let's get into. Uh, do we have any other final thoughts before we get into spookiest parts? No. Nope. Okay. Uh, I'll start with my spookiest part because for me, uh, and I, I think I'll be alone in this. 
The spookiest part for me is when uh, Danielle Stevens gets haunted by the house. Not just her poem at the end and the I found you, but there's a comment of hers on um, Eric's personal blog. I think it's the final post. Let me look uh, real quick here. And it just, it seems... Danielle Stevens being the teen girl who babysit yes. the kids who lived at that house. Yep. Uh, her screen name on LiveJournal and Blogspot is Oh Danny Girl. Um, and her comment on um, Eric's final Blogspot post is, Jenny Levin, where are you? The boys are all inside now. Come and find us. The door is open. With each sentence uh, on a separate line and all of it in lowercase. And it just feels very like uh, Evil Dead, Deadite in the basement, like Dead by Dawn. Sure. <laughs> um, or uh, if if you're like me and you really enjoy the remake, uh, the evil version of uh, Mia, who is sort of taunting her when she's hanging out in the basement. Um, what's your spookiest part of this whole tale, Patrick? Um, I think, I mean, it's, it's, you know, it's, it's the most obvious thing, but I think him saying, uh, I, th- I think, I mean, all the tech, the final text messages from Mark, uh, were really creepy for me. And the, there is something about that sort of one story ranch house that, uh, you like if you picture it empty. There's something like really creepy about that, and I, I had just like a very vivid, uh, hollow sort of image of what that house looked like from the inside. Without Mark, you know, without any like, you know, the text messages aren't just like I found a human tooth in the wall. I found you know like this that mm-hmm. and, like the text messages don't like go into crazy details or whatever, and it makes it scarier because it sort of captures the thing that is actually kind of creepy about those sort of houses. Yeah. Um, so like, but also specifically the first text, because the previous email is just like, oh yeah, I've got his personal effects, you know, like, so I'm going to be going over these, trying to see what, what I can discover. And then the very next text is standing in front of the house. Now it's the same one, the Houston house, same marks on the roof, same fence damage. Like yeah. that, that jump is really creepy. Yeah. And, um, Speaking of Evil Dead, it seems just like that house. Uh, like, I'm imagining just this normal neighborhood, and then there's one house in it that for some reason is a decrepit, like, crumbling cabin. Uh, and it's well, not do. It's they... not described that way at all, but for some reason that's no, how it entered all. my imagination. It's just sort of, like, not kept up. Yeah. It's just there. It's just something a little off about it. There's a really good house. I can't remember the author's. There's a really good book. I can't remember the author's name now. But the house next door is a really good horror novel um, about this like house that is built uh, in this neighborhood, and the house just sort of is evil and just sort of churns through these tenants as this next door neighbor sort of figures out what's going on and tries to figure out what to do about this haunted house. Um, and the description of that house in that book is sort of a very similar thing, where it's just like. It's not like, you know, Hill House. It's not some crazy gothic mansion. There's just something off and wrong about it. Yeah. Yeah, I, I that seems rare, I think, in any kind of visual medium. Because even in uh, 2017's It, uh, the well house is just so obviously a big spooky yeah. castle. <laughs> yeah. It's like they ride their bikes past it a couple different times, and I'm like, what's up with that 
big haunted house behind them. Like, oh, you've never been to Maine? <laughs> there's just every town has has one haunted castle. <laughs> yeah, there's just one huge wooden mansion that's crumbling, and all the ravens live there. Yeah, it was it was like a late it was like a late nineteenth century. It was very trendy at the time because of like the success of Edgar Allan Poe. It was very trendy for people in the uh on, on the northeast uh, of America to just buy decrepit mansions and make them as creepy and uh, depressing as possible. Yeah, it's where Pennywise vacations. He spends his summers mm-hmm. there. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's that's why he dis- just every twenty seven years he needs to take a vacation to Derry, Maine, to his big old creepy house. Yeah. Uh, Regina, what's your spookiest part of Diana House? My spookiest, my spookiest part was 5.77pm, because Ooh. when I was reading through those text messages, like I said before, one of the best parts is that you have to click through so you don't know when the end is coming, and with the, the rhythm of the text messages, I was reading the time signatures because I kept expecting it to be like a couple hours later, and like, oh, that was scary, and then suddenly it's like 5.77pm, and I freaked out. <laughs> <laughs> it scared the shit out of me. That was a really good detail. <laughs> I wish that I had noticed that when I when I was first reading it because I feel like that yeah. would have been a really spooky detail. Especially, especially because it's like it's not something you have to figure out. It's just something where your lizard brain goes, "That not right. Something wrong." <laughs> like <laughs> it was. Yeah, it was just really, really effective. Oh man, I hope that was on purpose and not just a typo. Uh, I'm sure it was on purpose. <laughs> uh, anyway, I guess that's all we have to say about Dianea House. All right, I'll I uh, bleep bleep bleep. bleep. Um, <laughs> is let's get into our plugs. Uh, Regina, please tell me where the people can find you online. Um, you can follow you can follow me on Twitter at tessaract t e s s a underscore r a c k e d. Um, I have a blog called Panda Bear Shape, which you can find consistent Panda Bear Shape, which you can find at pandabearshape.com. Um, because I flubbed the plug, it's pretty obvious I haven't written on it in a while. Um, it's about fat characters in cinema. Um, oh, speaking of, did you see Lady Bird? Because her best friend. I haven't seen it yet, but but Patrick told me that there's a fat best friend, <laughs> yep. so maybe that'll be my next post. Maybe I can convince myself to get back on that pony and do something productive. Yeah, absolutely um, do that because that's one of the best movies of the year, and the like second main character is a fat woman. Yeah, yeah, I. Or okay, girl, I'm going to do that. You're going to hear this podcast and you're going to be like, Panda Bear Shape, that sounds amazing. You're going to go to pandabearshape.com. There's going to be an amazing post about Ladybird. <laughs> Boom. Patrick, how about you? Where can the people find you and your things that you make? Oh, well, I mean, luckily they cannot. Uh, <laughs> I'm, I've sort of been in the process of dismantling my web presence. Gosh. <laughs> um, I, I do have a, uh, it's, I just, I can't, I can't do it. Anymore. Especially with like, the people who own those services. It's just, I don't want to deal with it anymore, but um, I do, I do have a podcast, uh, um, the tracks of the damned uh, horror, horror movie commentary track podcast. But I guess what I would really want to plug is Paul McCartney's 1972 album Ram. Cause I think a lot of people listen to the Beatles, but they don't go on to follow the Beatles solo stuff, which is understandable, except that Paul McCartney's solo stuff, some of it's a lot better than the Beatles. And I would say that Ram is actually better than any Beatles album, which is maybe a, a crazy thing to say, but that's, that's genuinely how I feel. So uh, if you haven't heard it, Paul McCartney's Ram is just excellent, excellent music. Oh, yeah. And it's like right after the Beatles break up. So he's still got all that juice. 
Oh yeah, yeah. It's not he's not yet in wings and he's just sort of having a good time. Like he's still really playing around and messing with the form and there's like really interesting production stuff and he's having a great time, but it's it's really cool. That's it's a really cool album. Weird. None of- Regina's making a face. <laughs> they are not having any of this. I understand the white album is 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 something. No, it's- no, it's not about Ram. What's it about? Paul McCartney does not need your help. <laughs> Pa- okay, so I'm Patrick- not trying to help Paul McCartney. I'm trying to help people. Patrick also contributed some music to a Hurricane Maria fundraiser relief That's album. That's right. I forgot about that. So maybe you want to check that out. I forgot about that. I don't have the link in front of me. It's um, I want to say it's like relief.bandcamp.com. If you go to Voices and Visions, which is the podcast network that uh, Tracks of the Damned is on, I'm sure that Jim's put a link up to that. But um, 90s uh, sweetheart Tracy Bonham also recorded a song for this album. And the profits do go to Hurricane Maria Relief, which, as we know, is very needed right now. So please check that out. Do you remember six years ago when the Hurricane Maria happened? <laughs> God damn it. <laughs> like, I'm sorry. Yeah, I forgot about that. But yeah, go 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 check that out. Throw some money that way. Uh, if you want to hear a Paul McCartney album I really liked when it came out, you can listen to his 2013 album, New. Um uh, I also liked his, I really liked his 2005 album Chaos and Creation in the Backyard a lot. Uh, I don't know what I was doing listening to those songs at the time. Um, 2005, I was oof, still in high school. Um, yeah, the, the, yeah, it came out the beginning of my senior year. I graduated 2006, which we met in fall of 2006. Oh, that's right. Yeah, we met in 2006. Yeah, which yeah, was, okay, I okay. believe, your senior Welcome year Welcome to college. Plunkin' on the Plunka, <laughs> yep. the Paul McCartney Appreciation Podcast. Yep. Uh, I really like the song Jenny Wren, uh, so go, oh, yeah. Yeah, go listen to that. Uh, Have you heard his, uh, the Fireman stuff, the electronic stuff he did with the guy from The Killing Joke? <laughs> no, that sounds very weird. Uh, he does very experimental electronic music. He's a weird, he's a weird <laughs> guy he did that he did that song with foo fighters recently he probably he's probably in he's probably on a kanye track that i haven't listened to right right i'm gonna get more tea you guys are fun goodbye okay uh that's it for the show go to weaponizedlanguage.com if you want to hear more episodes of this show or my other show go to uh patreon.com slash jeffjk for one dollar a month you get two bonus things and uh, a written thing, and I just call them things because they're not always podcasts or stories. I will just, like, write something and post it there. Usually it's a story, uh, sometimes it's a personal essay. Um, the things I record are usually readings of stories that we've covered on the show, but I've also done, like, uh, I'm taking a long drive, here's my thoughts on some pop culture stuff. Uh, and that's, there's a bunch of that on there. Let's see, what else? You can go to etsy.com slash shop slash online. This episode, uh, gosh, it's going to post on December 14th, so you'll probably just barely have enough time to order a Perler Bead Sprite for someone that you have to get a holiday gift for. Uh, it can be either an Amiibo or a fridge magnet, um... The Amiibos are $2 more because NFC tags ain't free. Uh, That's all for this one. The door is open.